Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, great to see you all. Thank you for braving the weather and uh, coming out. And uh, I, I, uh, Gerda and I have had the privilege of being off for a few weeks. And I tell you, we missed you guys. And, um, you know, uh, I, I love going to different churches to see what they're doing. But you know what? There's no place like home, okay? There's no place like home. And, uh, and here is where our heart is. So it's so great to be back with you. And uh, um, I'm, thank you, uh, you know, I'm thankful for Daniel and his good ministry in it. He did not. He was. He was not ruthless with you. Uh, so some of you got it, okay? So Daniel, thank you for uh, for all that you have uh, done in the last few weeks too. Um, some of you are parents with kids and will re- relate to this. Some of you are kids and will relate to this, and some of you will as grandparents uh, do. You, you remember when you got to the point when you were going to leave your kids home alone? I'm not talking the movie, not that debacle, but, but uh, you know, and, and so, so, you know, it was time you had to go out, and the kids were going to be there by themselves, and you gathered the kids together. You say, okay, now... Dinner is in the fridge, warm it up, you know, don't open the door, keep the door locked, you know, if somebody knocks at the door, don't come to the door, and, and uh, I, I want you to uh, uh, make sure that you clean up after your meal, put everything in the dishwasher, uh, and, and, uh, and uh, go to bed at 9.30, no fighting, do you hear me? No fighting. Don't fight. Here's an emergency number if you have to call us. You know, you do this preparation. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting because we've seen this happen now with, with our granddaughter is at that point. And so mom's going to go out for an hour at first, okay? And she's of an age. And so now here, you know, here's what to do and not to do. And, and, um, and, and it goes on, you know, when your parents go away for a weekend, and they've got all these rules and nobody in it, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, and sometimes it's scary leaving your kids alone, right? And, uh, and you want to call and you want to make sure, and, and it's kind of hard to do that. Um, if, you, you know, if you've experienced that, maybe in some way you'll appreciate something of what Jesus was doing. Uh, when he was preparing to leave... Only he wasn't going for an hour. He would be going basically for good. And uh, he had been with his disciples for some three and a half years. Um, his followers, uh, they had been with him. Uh, he taught them. He was grooming them, forming them, and preparing them. But he was going to have to leave them. And through this whole process, he's, he's getting them ready for the time when he will have to go. And uh, it was Passover, on a given year, and Jesus was making his final trip to Jerusalem, um, to this important feast, and uh, he would gather his disciples together uh, in an upper room, 
And, and there he was going to share with them a somber farewell message. And there's a portion of Scripture that's found nowhere else in the Bible. Uh, the Apostle John, the Apostle of Love, the, the Apostle whom Jesus loved. Often he just identifies, he doesn't, he never gives his name. He just says, you know, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, he spent a lot of intimate time with the Lord. Um, and, and there was going to be this very difficult time where Jesus had been telling them all along, you know what, guys? I'm going to have to leave you. I'm going to be going. I'm going to run into some things that you're not going to fully understand. They're going to crucify the Son of Man. And he gave them he gave them hints and then very explicit in his time with them. But it is now time. Hey, if you knew you were leaving, if you knew you were leaving your family for good, what would you want to communicate? Have you thought about that? What would you want to tell them if you gathered them together? What would you want to say? Well, Jesus is at that kind of time. Um, he has some important things that he wants to tell them. And uh, that's where he was with the disciples in the upper room. It's called the farewell discourse. And it's a message of Jesus to his followers before going to the cross. In fact, it's the night before he would go to the cross and he would be leaving them. And um, we're going to examine this important message um, of what was on the Savior's heart as he gathered them together and the kinds of things that he told them and what we need to hear as we receive uh, his parting wisdom. Now, just to let you know what's going to happen, just the way things, uh, we're going to start the series today, and we're going to have actually a hiatus for two weeks, so just the way things worked out. Uh, this next uh, weekend is Family Day weekend, and uh, I'm going to bring a, a special message on keeping your kids in the faith. I think, you know, in, in line with our Family Day weekend, I think this is such a critical thing. And so uh, please let me make an appeal if your parents, grandparents be here and, and if your kids be here. Um, I, I think this is a, a really important and critical message. And then the week after on the 26th, uh, we're going to be pleased to have with us uh, Brem Frentz, who is the vice president um, of global outreach for our Christian Missionary Alliance churches across Canada. And he will be here sharing in a special missions day with us. And then we'll pick up the series right into going into Easter, okay? So we want to begin. And uh, let me invite you to take your Bible. And if you don't have your Bible with you, grab the one that's in the back of the seat there. And turn to John chapter 13. That's on page 900. Page 900. And it's John chapter 13. And we want to begin uh, looking at this important uh, passage of Scripture. We've called it a, a somber farewell gathering. And uh, in chapter 13, in verse 1, it says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon 
uh, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. And let me just stop there for a second as we have the setting for this. It's Passover time. Um, Jesus knew that his hour had come. Jesus got into all kinds of hot water through his ministry. Um, the, the religious leaders couldn't stand him. They didn't like him. Uh, he took shots at them and called them out for their hypocrisy. And they were scheming and planning all the way through how they can get rid of them, uh, get rid of him. They're, they're scheming and planning how he, uh, they can uh, put him to death. And, and you'll read as you go through John's gospel, um, but his hour wasn't come. The time wasn't right. And, and sometimes Jesus would, would just slip away. Sometimes he would make himself more obscure. He was in control and understood the whole timetable. And this was the time. Um, before wasn't the time. But now um, he knew his hour had come. This was the time. Um, it's interesting in that when we begin John's gospel... In, in chapter 1, in verse 29, we've got John the Baptist, and he sees Jesus coming, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And here we are at Passover time, probably the very time that the, that the Passover lambs were being slaughtered. And here is Jesus saying, My hour has come, and, uh, and uh, he's going to begin to unfold this final time, and he has this special time with his disciples. He says this, he would depart out of the world, um, and he'd go back to be with the Father. Um, it was go time. It was time for what, was, uh, what he came for, to give his life as a sacrifice. And he affirmed his love for his disciples, it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them totally. He loved them completely. He loved them, and that love would be expressed ultimately and consummately in his death on the cross. The time was there. He loved them to the very end. And it's interesting. Um, it says, during supper, so... The table is set, everything is out, everybody's you know, sitting at the table. And just, just so that you understand how it happened, the table would be a low table, just maybe so far off the ground. You'd have a cushion. You would lean probably on your left arm, and you would eat with your right hand. And you, your feet would be out behind, and you've got this table, and here, here's Jesus and all of his disciples leaning and, and eating. So they're ready. Everybody's at the table. They're ready. And, um, and he said, the devil had already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. Okay, the thing is, it's fixed. Um, he, he's, he's got these, uh, the plan is hatched, the intent is set, everything is ready. And Jesus understands um, his power. Look at this. He says, um, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, he had all authority, he had all uh, power at that point. Um, anything that was going to happen, the attack of Satan, uh, the, the, the religious leaders, the Roman soldiers, I mean, he, he, could have, he could have fried the whole lot of them. He had all power. Um, but, but look at what else he had. Um, he understood that God had given all things into his hand, that he'd come from God, 
and that he was going back to God. He, he has not only the power to defeat Satan and his forces, he, he knows his status, his identity has come from God. He knows his destiny. He knows that he's going back to God. He's secure in all of that. He knows who he is, where he's going, what he's doing. He was God the Son, all-powerful, living out his plan for the Lord. And so Jesus, uh, and, and he knew what his mission was. And then Jesus does something absolutely unthinkable. Here we have an act of humble service. Look at verse 4. Everybody's at the table ready to get going. And Jesus rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus does something that shocked everybody there. Jesus did something that that they could not really figure out at all. It was horrifying. It was humbling. It was, you know, see, you need to understand that when people walked the dusty paths um, of Israel and wore sandals, that their feet would get dirty. Now, if you were going for a special meal, you might, uh, you might bathe before you go, but in the process of the journey, your feet get dirty um, and so it would be typical to have a servant. But it was always the lowest of the low servant who would have to wash people's feet. It wouldn't be the person who's making the food or doing this or that. It was the lowest of the low would wash the feet. When they made preparations for this meal, uh, they had no servant there. And so everybody's ready to get started in the meal. And Jesus gets up, takes off his outer cloak, gets a towel, ties it around him, fills a basin with water, and begins to wash their feet. And, um, and they are stupefied. Um, this, this was wrong on so many levels. In terms of social convention, you would never do this. Uh, this would be absolutely unexpected. The disciples did not even consider that doing, for, doing that for each other. There's no way they would do that for each other. It was just socially, you wouldn't do that. Um, they probably, if Jesus had said something, would have been willing to wash his feet, I'm sure. But for each other, um, no. And it was so undignified. And, and they would be justified in refusing to do some menial function like that. It's interesting, as I was doing some study, um, there, was a, there was a rabbi whose mother wanted to wash his feet. And he wouldn't let his mother wash his feet. And, and in fact, she went to court to get the court to say that she could wash her son's feet. They wouldn't let him do it. Like, I mean, this is how this is how much of a, a, a social issue this was. And everybody's really uncomfortable. Oh, man, like, Jesus is washing my feet, my, my, you know, my, my dirty feet. And, and Jesus goes from person to person, washing, drying off their feet. He comes to Judas, and he washes his feet and dries them off. And... Um, here they are in the midst of this, and Jesus comes to Peter. 
Peter's absolutely repulsed by what Jesus is doing. And Peter was never short on words or having some kind of a response. And so we see in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? I mean, it's interesting if you look through the, um, the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. Peter's the guy who, like, he always has something to say, and normally when he has something to say, it's the wrong thing. He used to berate Jesus, uh, Lord, if you think you're going to die, you're not going to, and I'm going to see to it, and I'm, you know, I'll be with you to the end, and I don't care what these guys, you know, he was, he was, he was a big mouth, big heart, big mouth, big enough to get his foot in. Sometimes he could put two in, and, um, and, and so... Peter says, like, there's no way I'm going to let this happen. And, and Jesus says to him, if, you don't wa- if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. So Peter does a flip-flop now. And Peter says, well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Do me all, Lord, if that's the way it is. Oh, Peter, I, the Lord, I mean, he must have just sh- shook his head. He's saying, look it. I made you clean. I cleansed you. And it's kind of like life. You, you, I gave you a bath. I, I cleansed you. But as we walk in life on the dirty path, we pick up defilement. We sin daily. And, and, and it's like this. Um, you don't need a bath. You just need daily cleansing, Peter. And... and uh, so here they are, trying to figure this out. Let me, let me, let me tell you, as, as ridiculous as this sounds, I, I think as kind of an analogy might help you understand how offensive this was to the disciples. I want you to imagine with me that uh, Queen Elizabeth is coming to Canada, and you have been chosen to host a dinner for Queen Elizabeth. So, I mean, you've, you've prepared everything. Everything is, is great. The food is all. And she comes with her entourage, and she comes in. Ahem, ahem. Welcome. And, and uh, the food is there, and everybody's set at the table. And she says, excuse me, I have something to do. And she takes off her tiara, and she takes off that beautiful sash, And if she's wearing a suit, she takes off her jacket. And she says, could you tell me, please, where is the toilet brush? (laughs) Toilet brush? What are you talking about? I wanted to give it a quick clean. And so she takes the toilet brush and gets down on her hands and knees at the toilet and is scrubbing the toilet, which would be spotless anyway, I'm sure. But you say, like... Get real, like that would happen. This is, the, this is like kind of an equivalent of what was happening. Jesus, something that is done by the lowest of the menial uh, tasks, done by the lowest of the low slaves, and Jesus is doing it for them. And, uh, and so like, because Jesus is doing it and he shut Peter up, they all just be quiet and let him do his thing. And, and uh, so here we are now um, dealing with a call to serve like Jesus. 
Uh, he, said, he said there, um, you're all clean except for one. That's Judas who's betrayed him. And, and then in verse 12, it says, when he'd washed their feet, he took off the towel, put on his outer garment, and resumed his place. And he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you get what just happened? Do you understand what I did? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than him, the one who sent him. Jesus says, do you get what just happened? This is a teachable moment. This is like, I'm going to be leaving you guys, and there's something that you need to know. There's something that you need to understand and do and practice in your life. Um, do you know who I am? Yes, you're a rabbi. You're our teacher. And in, in, the, in that time, if you had a rabbi, he would have followers. And, and those followers would, would uh, go with the rabbi, learn from him, teach him. He was the rabbi. He was the teacher. They were only students. He was superior to them. You call me rabbi, and you're, you're right, I'm rabbi. And you call me Lord. And Lord could be a term of respect. Um, you call me Lord, that's, that's right. I am, I am your master. But that word would come to have so much more significance. You know, I'm God. I am the Lord. I am the Lord God. And he says, you call me Lord, and you're right there in the assessment of who, who I am. Now, if I've washed your feet, if I'm the Lord, if I'm the rabbi, if I'm as we, and, and anybody who's reading through the Gospel of John are confronted with the opening verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became dwell of flesh and dwelt among us. This is God. And God is washing the dirty feet of these disciples. And, um, and, and uh, he, says, he says to them, um, if I wash your feet, this is what you need to do for one another. If I, as your Lord, have humbled myself to become a servant and to, and to as we read this morning, to be, be a servant and become obedient even to death on a cross, I'm inviting you to walk with me in that way. I've given you an example that you're to follow my example. The servant isn't greater than his master. Why do you think? I, if I've done this, Shouldn't you be doing this for others? It's interesting when we read through some of the other Gospels. In, in Luke's Gospel, at the time of the Last Supper, Luke gives us a little, a little data that we don't get anywhere. During the supper time, as they were getting ready for supper, Luke tells us that the disciples were arguing. You know what they were arguing about? Who's the greatest? Well, I'm greater than you are. You are, you are not. They get into this whole argument. In fact, it goes to the point where Mark, Mark tells us that, um, that they were arguing about who is the greatest. And, and John, the guy who wrote this, the beloved disciple, um, he, says, um, 
he and his brother go to Jesus and say, Jesus, um, do for us whatever we ask. What do you want? Well, let us go. We want one of us to be in your left hand and one in your right hand. We want the positions of power and influence and prestige. When you bring in your kingdom, Lord, how about, how about James and I take those positions? And, um, the, you know, what Jesus was teaching never sunk in for them. Uh, because in Mark 10, we have this. Jesus called them together, the disciples, after they were arguing who's the greatest. And See, the other disciples were really ticked off. They were probably ticked off because John and James did it. They were asking this, and they should have been asking themselves. Oh, we missed the boat on that one. Um, and, and Jesus said, you know that those who were regarded as rulers in the Gentiles lorded over them. They're, they, they're the boss. And their high officials uh, exercise authority over them. Not so with you. That's how the world works. You're the boss. Everybody serves you. You're the kingpin. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. They'd never gotten the lesson. And now it's time when Jesus is going to be leaving them. And he says, listen, guys, if I, your master, have done this menial service that you would never even consider doing, if I do it, all the more you should do it. Don't you love that with Jesus? I mean, he came and he lived it out. I, you know, in ministry, it's sometimes, you know, it's, where is the integrity? Do as I say. You know, sometimes as with our kids, we kind of feel that way because there may be some hypocrisy. Do as I say, not as I do, because I didn't respond very well. No, do as I do. And Jesus leads the way as a humble servant for them. And, and here they are. Um, I'll give my life in humble service. And the great people are the people who serve. Totally different standard than what we have, than what we operate by. And... and uh, yeah, how, how, many people, how many people do you have under you? Oh, ooh, you're really something. You're special. Um, not how many people do I serve? And that was Jesus' example. And he said this critical, critical part of, of his message as he begins to unfold this message before saying goodbye to them. In leaving you, I have some important information for you. And this is going to go contrary to every fiber in your body because you want to be special. You want to be exalted. You want people to serve you. But he said, that's not the way it's supposed to be. You need to get down off your high horse. You need to take off your cloak and put on a towel and get a basin and do service for others. A young woman from Macedonia, 18-year-old, felt the call of God. And so she went into a convent becoming a nun. And she asked if she could go to India and they sent her to India. They sent her to Calcutta and there she taught school. And she was gripped by the poverty in Calcutta. And um, she was gripped by 
the scripture that when Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of one of these, my friends, you do unto me. And she saw this great need. She saw the poverty. She saw the, uh, the sickness. She saw the, the people who had no food. And she began to reach out with the love of God in that. Uh, she would begin a home for the dying. People would die on the streets. A few years ago, I had the privilege of, of going to Mother Teresa's home and, um, and touring it. And going in and seeing these rows of cots, rows of cots in, from room to room, people whose, whose um, bodies sometimes were, were uh, just in terrible shape, people with leprosy, people who were diseased, uh, people uh, just lying there, but somebody caring for them. She began this whole mission, missionaries of, of charity, feeding and clothing and, and, uh, and caring for the dying. And I had a chance to talk to some of the people who worked there and, and who helped there to see that this example of this woman to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to care for others, she caught that. Um, and, and she took serious that, seriously that call. Now, few of us will ever be a Mother Teresa. A few of us uh, uh, will have the opportunity to do that, and I don't think we all should be Mother Teresas. But God wants us to serve others humbly. Um, If you've been a parent, you understand something of what it means to humbly serve. Because when you have a new baby, they do that much for themselves. You have to do everything for them. And uh, in in the process, it it can be very undignifying. Uh, You know, I I remember taking my daughter and and I'm all dressed and ready for church and she blew all over me. You get up in the night, you, you do whatever it takes to help them. I think sometimes when we see that, we understand Boy, like that's kind of really a service. But God wants us to look out, to look around, and understand that he calls us to serve others. Anybody who's around us that has need to humbly become a servant, to reach out and care for them in need. You say, well, well whom do I serve? Why don't you start in your home? Um, why don't you start by not demanding that you be served all the time, but that you serve others. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you kids say, let me, let me do this, or let me help with this, or can I make a meal for you? Can I do, uh, you know, I, I, I want to do for you. Parents, uh, guys, um, to be a servant to our wives and wives to our husbands. Can you imagine what our homes, how our homes would be transformed if we had the mindset that I'm here to serve you, not to be served? Can you imagine how transformative that could be in the life of our home? When, when a lot of the time we're, there's strife and there's striving and clamoring for attention and you do for me and I want this and I need this and I deserve this. What about your workplace? 
what about when you finished your work and your co-worker's not quite done? You say, yeah, but they never helped me. Yes, yeah, so? Are, doesn't God call us to a higher ethic? Doesn't he call us to a higher standing that we can help others at work, that if we see somebody struggling, we can, we can reach out and help them? Now, what if our manager, what if the owner of our company had the idea that we weren't there just to serve him and his needs? He was there to serve us. That's what the Bible is talking about. Uh, what, what, about uh, what about your neighbors? Somebody broke their leg, and we've got all the snow coming down. Maybe you could shovel snow. Uh, maybe there's somebody who's, who's, uh, who's at home and lonely. Maybe an older person that we could reach out in love and serve. Uh, maybe a young mom who's struggling that we could babysit and, and, and maybe go in and take the kids so that she can go and do some groceries or something like that. What about politicians? If politicians said, I'm here to serve the people. I mean, they say that. Or are they there to serve the party? Are they there to serve themselves? Or are they really there as an act of service? And what could we do in the church without people serving? I mean, for us to have this service this morning... I mean, all kinds of people were involved in, in cleaning things and preparing things and, and, and doing uh, managerial and bookkeeping work and, and doing printing and counseling and uh, people who are greeting and working, uh, preparing music and uh, preparing slides and, and presentations and, and, and videos and youth sponsors and people who are taking care of babies in the nursery and, and people who are teaching uh, the, the children and, and youth sponsors and people who are praying and, and it goes on and on and on. We couldn't do it without people who had a mind to serve. And it's not easy to serve everybody. I still see Jesus washing Judas' feet. He knew exactly what was going down. You see, I would never help that person. Yeah, Jesus did. Jesus did that. In fact, Jesus said, love your neighbor. Yeah, I want to tell you, love your enemy. And here is Jesus washing the feet of Judas. Is there a Judas in your life? And, and when I say that, all of a sudden, somebody's, somebody's name comes to mind. You can see them, and, and your blood starts to boil. Would God have you serve even that person? It's not easy. Well, here is Jesus with his disciples in the upper room, and he says, kids, I'm going to be going away. There's some things I want to say to you before I go. And one is this. You see what I just did for you? I did something for you that you wouldn't do for each other. I want you to do what I did. Kids, I'm going to be leaving, but I want you to serve one another. I want you to serve the world because this is what I'm leaving you with. You're going to become me. You're going to reach out and be me. And we're going to change this world. Only we're not going to change this world by political process. And we're not going to change this world by brute military force. 
But we're going to change this world by loving people and humbly serving them. Really? You think that will work? Are we going to start a movement of people who just let others walk over them and treat them like servants? And Jesus said, yeah, and I'm going to show you how it's done. And uh, a couple of hours later, they're heading to the Garden of Gethsemane where the soldiers will come. And, uh, and within, within a, uh, er, by, by early the next morning, Jesus is going to be hanging on a cross. And his act of humble service would radically change millions upon millions upon millions of people in a movement that is based on love and humble service. That's us. The final verse in verse 17, he says this. If you know these things, blessed are you. You'd be happy if you do them. You want blessing in your life? He says, we need to start right here. Become a servant to all. Let's pray. Lord, um, these are tough words for us. Because you call us to be something that really goes against the grain of our human nature. And yet, Lord, the revolution that, that you started was a revolution of love and humble service. And you call us to join you by serving each other. Father, help us to to put away the pride and the arrogance. Help us to be willing to do menial things. Help us to reach out and to care and to love. And I pray that you would transform our lives and in transforming us, you bring hope to the world of people who need to know that there is another way than just forcing. There's another way other than self-promotion. And Father, that we would see our lives, our homes, our communities transformed as we hear what Jesus shares with us before he leaves us. And we pray it in his name. Amen.